And we are on episode 98 of the Curvo Podcast. We got my friend Pete Calderon with the State Hospital. How are yes, you, Pete? I'm doing great. Pete, what is your title at the State Hospital? I am the Assistant Director for Community Relations and a Public Information Officer for the Kerrville State Hospital. Well, thank you for your service over there. Thank you. Um, ladies and gentlemen, I recently toured the State Hospital. Pete took me around, and um, I had a predetermined mindset. I used to drive by as a kid, and you hear all the stories about who's in there, what they've done, and I, I was nervous. I was scared, Pete. Is that normal? That is normal because because uh, we all have a, a a thought or we think we know what's going on there or who we have there. And we all watch too much TV and, and yeah. too many movies. And so we think that that's what it is. And it's the complete opposite. It is. So it's always important for us. And we try to do our best to shatter the stigma and to be transparent about what we do there because um, we're very proud of it, uh, helping the people of, of the state of Texas here in Kerrville. So we try our best to wash those things away by giving tours, by educating people about who we have and who we serve. And everybody thinks that it's a scary population and it's not. It is not. Yeah. It's not. So we went, we went in and it is like a little town. It, it really is. Mm -hmm. There's a gym, there's a library, there's a computer room. There is a movie theater, um, an art center, and um, when when the patients are in the art center, they're not patients, are they? Right. They're artists. Artists. Yes. And so the reason we have all of that, the reason it is a community within a community, is because we have to replicate a community, one, like they're going to go back to. Since they can't come out, we have to replicate everything that you and I experience every day. We have to replicate that back in our in there so they have some experience, so they have some knowledge. And 70% of our patients do have jobs on campus. And they don't they work 45 minute hours because when minimum wage went up, uh, they did not increase the state did not increase our budget. Wow. So we had to go from 60 minute hours to 45 minute hours, uh, to 45 minutes an hour. So uh they work maybe five to seven hours a week. Uh, they get paid at the end of the, uh, all their money goes to the canteen or yeah. sometimes they order stuff, you know, uh, from the outside. What but is a canteen? The canteen is like a small, um, it's like a small Bucky's. Yeah. I saw Somewhat. it. I saw it. It's it was... a, it's, there's TVs in there. Uh, it's a place for central perk from friends. Mm -hmm. It's something like that where they can kind of hang out. They do have coffee social, Sometimes they do have karaoke sometimes, um, but uh, there's just a lot that goes on there in, in the canteen. So you mentioned them and, and what for everybody listening, what's the proper way to address to address somebody either in there? Is it a patient? Is it a, um, you know, how would, how would yeah. Uh, patients are clients because they, we are a hospital and so they are patients, but some people say clients also. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't want to offend anybody. Um, so they're not, they're not in there to just stay in there for the rest of their no. lives. You mentioned, you know, giving them jobs, giving them a actual community like feeling to get them ready to come back out. Yes. To be discharged. The average stay for a, uh, each patient 
is four to five years. And so during those four to five years, they get therapy and they get, you know, counseling and they get all the, all the classes that they need. We have AA and NA classes. Wow. Um, they have a job. They have, you know, our, they, there's a, their schedules are so busy and so packed, like mine and your schedule every day. Mm. You know, it's, you got to do this. You got to go here at this time. You got to go there. So they're very, uh, very busy. We have to replicate that to make them, uh, to be able and give them all the tools that they need to succeed in when, once they're discharged, because they will be discharged. They are meant to be discharged. What is, what is the average objection that you hear about somebody being discharged and being back out here with general population with it? Right. They won't, and they won't necessarily be discharged here in Kerrville. They're normally discharged back to the, to the County in which they came from. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, it really is. You know, it's just, there's a lot of questions that I had going in and it was just answered through the tour. Just looking around. It's a high end. I don't know if you want to say facility, but it's, it's amazing. It's a little town, really. I was walking through, and, and I was like, are you serious? This is right here in Kerrville? Mm-hmm. I drive by this at least twice a week, and I never knew this was here. Look, in so many so many places, uh, you know, there's 10, 10 state hospitals and 10 state-supported living centers in the state of Texas, and we have one of them. You know, we have a $40, $45 million budget, annual budget a year. We employ uh, close to 600, 700 people. Uh, there at our facility and it's fixing, it's growing. So we want to know, we want our people in our town to know how we affect the local economy here because those six or 700 people, 97% of those funds stays right here in Kerrville. That's amazing. They live here, they shop here, they pay their electricity here, they buy gas here, they do all that stuff. All of that money stays here in Kerrville. So that's really important for our local economy. It really is. And, and you mentioned growing, um, as you were giving me a tour, I saw new construction happening and, um, that's the MSU, huh? Yes. The maximum security unit. And I hate saying maximum security unit because maximum security to me means something different Mm -hmm. from how it is perceived, uh, on the outside. Yeah. So maximum security, uh, for us is that they're just coming to us a little bit more vulnerable a little bit more raw yeah. uh, than we would normally uh, take patients. Right now, we take patients that are um, that go through a DRB, which is a danger review board. They're deemed uh, to be not uh, manifestly dangerous, not to harm themselves or others before they even get here. Mm. So the maximum security unit is going to be a community within a community. Uh, they're going to it's going to be a, a lockdown uh, facility. And we will get those patients to where they need to be in the in the time frame that we need them to be in before they go to the hospital. Because normally we get our patients from Vernon or Rusk or other uh, maximum security hospitals, and then they come to us because they're they're progressing. They're you know they're getting better. So we're going to do that here. the The state of Texas has funded us for seventy more beds, and wow. those seventy more patients that we're going to take creates two hundred and fifty jobs. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, because we have three shifts, you know, and then we need, you know, housekeeping and, and extra cooks and all those kind of things. Yeah. So in order to make that happen, it's going to be 250 jobs. But your goal for maximum security is to get them 
out of there as quick as possible, right? Right. So we'll, we'll start uh, one wing, and we can tour that later. Uh, one wing, uh, the, the patient will have their own room. And then as they uh, improve, they'll go to the other wing where they'll have a roommate because they're going to have a roommate when they go to the main hospital, wow. to the main side. So we have to, uh, you know, get them to be where they need to be yeah. uh, in order to, to function. Get them ready to have yeah. a roommate. And that's a responsibility in itself. And, yeah. and you grow as, as, a, as a patient and eventually get out of there. Right. So as we were touring the state hospital, I, you, you're like, John, check this out. And you open a door. And I was in a little courtroom. Mm -hmm. What is the purpose of that? So the purpose of the mock courtroom, which was bought and paid for by the Volunteer Services Council for Kerrville State Hospital, um, we train and educate uh, our patients to be competent when they go to court, when they're in the courtroom, so that they know who, what the jury, what their purpose is, the defendant, the plaintiff, the court reporter, the judge, the bailiff, we have all those parts and we have scripts that they play along so they can be competent when they go to, to court. That is amazing. Yes. And it's, it's super helpful. And look, and we're an educational facility. So uh, when the psychiatrists are doing their, their internships and, or psychology, uh, we also have mock courts for them and the doctors, they role play uh, to try to trip up the student. Yeah. Cause at some point in their career, they're going to be called to be an expert witness. It's a learning process. Yes, it, yes. That's a tool in itself. Mm -hmm. Do you ever have people come from, from all around just to see that? Yes, we have, uh, you know, before COVID, we had uh, agreements with the Air Force, uh, the Army, uh, UT uh, Health Science Center, Shriner University, because uh, we're used as an educational facility for the Army and for the Air Force to do their, their mental health rotation, they would come to us. Wow. So yeah. let's say somebody's listening and they're curious and they want to see it. How, I mean, uh, is that possible? Yes, absolutely. And you can call 896-2211, ask for Pete Calderon and community relations, and we'll make it happen. Are you serious? Yeah. There's nothing to hide there. No, no. We try to be as transparent as possible. Um, look, it's not, it's not, I'm not sitting here saying it's all, you know, roses and, and happy and whatever, you know, to say, you know, we do. We don't go without incident. Just being, you know, um, when you have Thanksgiving with your whole family, by the end of Thanksgiving Day or the, by the end of the weekend, you're ready to go home because your family's getting on your nerves. Yes. So that's no different when you're putting, let's say, 20 patients on one unit and they all have different backgrounds, different upbringings, and you put them in one unit with one TV. Oh my gosh. There's going to be, people are going to get on each other's nerves, you know, but it's not, it's not as bad as people think we're straight jackets and anything like that. Yeah. It's not that, but we do have some disagreements and, and they're fine. Just, that's, yeah, that's the mindset I had going into it. I'm like, oh man, I'm going to see a bunch of people in a soft room with straight jackets. And, <laughs> and, uh, it was, if you didn't tell me it was a state hospital, I would have thought it was like, like a little hospital. Like right a community, yeah. yeah. It was really, really something. So I want to point out too is that we are uh, the patients. Like I said before, do have jobs, and one of the biggest job creators is the laundry. 
We are a regional laundry facility. Yes. And we do about 25,000 pounds of laundry a day. And we're getting a new um, state-of-the-art laundry facility being built as we speak. Um, so the, the equipment that they have is so expensive that the state cannot put those facilities at every hospital or every state-supported living center. So they break up into regional laundry facilities, mm. and we are one of them. And so we do laundry for seven seven other facilities. Yeah, there's truckloads of laundry coming right. in and out. Right. And that in itself, how many people are employed just through through the laundry? I think there's 25, 25 that run that laundry facility, and then uh, the patients uh, creates job for the patients because we had, do have folding machines, but the folding machines can't fold those big blankets mm. so the patients fold the blankets and that creates jobs for the patients do you ever see uh, so like a patient that has a job versus a patient that doesn't um what does it do to their confidence level everybody wants a job um sometimes it's not possible just because the level uh where they are um then it's not it's not good for them or possible for them to have a job or we have to wait for jobs to come open. You know, someone will get discharged and it'll, it'll leave a job there. So they'll now assign another patient to that. But most patients want a job. Wow. And it does help upon discharge or upon when you go to court, you know, to say, hey, John Doe has been going to all his classes. He's been going to all his uh, things that he needs to do. He's been attending work. Yeah. He's been. So that little report card, when you go, uh, to court, it, it matters. It makes a difference. How does somebody end up at the state hospital? And could it be anybody? It can be anybody. Look, mental illness does not discriminate. It does not have any boundaries whatsoever. It Mental illness does not care uh, what your financial background is. It doesn't care who your family is and how much money they have or how educated you are. It doesn't matter across the board. We get... A lot of people that are highly educated uh, people uh, that just life happens. And so what it is, is people are unaware that they're, they have an illness and they find themselves self-medicating with drugs or alcohol, which enhances the mental illness. And then at some point they commit an offense with the law. And those are the things that you have to do in order to be a patient. What? So most people... Uh, are self-medicating and, and they don't know. So we always tell everyone you're safer within those fences of the Kerrville State Hospital than you are out in the community because the people in the community are not diagnosed. You know, they're not having, uh, they're, you know, they're not, they're not diagnosed. They're not getting medication. They're not getting treatment, those kind of things. So we always say, is it safer coming out of an AA meeting at 1030 at night? Or coming out of a bar at one thirty and in the even the morning, mm. because you know, again, there's just the dangers of it that, you know. Yeah. I did, I did do a. Uh, I found a on on TikTok. I'm not a TikToker, but I do sometimes look oh, at the videos. I am. I am. Um, and there was a lady having a mental break in the Apple Store, mm. and that's the kind of stuff that happens. All she had to do probably was uh, assault someone. And it was very obvious she had uh, mental illness issues going on. So, you know, she was having a breakdown. All she had to do was assault somebody, go to jail, and then and she would she would have been she would have got in the system probably. Whoa! So, what about people who are just having a bad day? Like, has <laughs> you know? I mean, what if uh, 
how hard, how easy is it to, to wind up there? And um, how hard is it to get out if you're in there? Right. Well, you know, the, the psychiatrist, the psychologist, the people that they're very, very educated in what they do. And, you know, you have to be diagnosed. There's certain tests and uh, things that they do uh, to determine if you're bipolar, to determine if you're depressed or it's anxiety, those kind of things. The doctors can uh, detect that and, and know that kind of stuff. So you can't just do something. People think it's real easy to say like, oh, I'll just say I'm, I'm insane and I'll go over there. You yeah. Know? You know what? I'm sorry for even asking that question because honestly, there are people who work really, really hard to make sure that the right people are in there and the right people aren't. And, um, you know, I, I didn't mean to doubt the system like that. I no, just, no. And I didn't, and I didn't take it as that, but, uh, it's just because a lot of people don't know. Yeah. A lot of people don't know how, what the process is or what it takes uh, for that to happen. Yeah. And a lot of these questions that I ask, I try to think of what the average person would ask, you know, um, even though I did tour the facility and even though I did ask a million questions, I try to try to be like, man, not everybody did tour it. Not everybody saw what I saw. Not everybody sees what you see every day. And so I try to think, what would the average Kervillian, you know, what do they wonder about that place? And um, it, it's, it's, it's beautiful. It's, it's a pretty facility. Yeah. And, and before COVID and we're getting better, uh, we used to, I used to, when I do tours, I would give them tours on an actual unit with actual patients on there. Yeah. Uh, you have to sign a confidentiality agreement just so they could see the normalcy of it, that how normal it is that, you know, it's not, you know, what everybody thinks it is. And so when we leave, uh, they see that it's different. Yeah firsthand they see that it is different it's not what they thought they're amazed and they're not scared because it's not a scary place to work it's not mm -hmm. a scary uh people that we serve they're they're just not it's just they're they had a mental issues uh, they needed a little treatment and a little help and we have to it's our responsibility to give them every single tool possible to function and be successful in their community mental health is very very important especially at this day and age and um you have to be so careful and how do you as a professional and you've seen this every day do you ever see something and you're like oh man that person may or may not you know just like you said on tiktok you know you're like that person obviously um you know needed help do you ever see somebody and you're like man you know if, we could we could help that person or that person needs to talk to somebody um to prevent something later right and i think the the thing that probably most people on a day-to-day -day basis out in the community or wherever you are the things that they notice the most anxiety and depression mm. and we don't know uh a lot of times when people act out or they do the things they don't it comes from being having anxiety you know depression you know people not wanting to do anything, not wanting to go out, not wanting to do stuff. Um, I'll tell you personally, um, when my mother first retired, she had a really hard time uh, transferring, uh, transitioning from retirement, from work to retirement. Mm -hmm. And it was really affecting her. And I asked her just later, I kind of noticed and I said, are you, are you depressed? And she said, you know what? Maybe, I don't know, maybe, because I could see the, the 
I could see the change in her, mm. you know, just, she was not her happy self, you yeah. know? And of course that's when uh, my wife and I had my son. And of course she started taking care of him. She took care of him for six years before he we went to school. Joy. Yeah. So that totally changed the dynamics of it. And that went away. It does. When my brother passed away and you know, my mom was going through depression immediately after he passed. So he passed Halloween, October. And then my, my daughter was born March. And, um, yeah, my daughter brought joy to my mama and, uh, you know, it kept her mind off of things. Not, not as much, or, you know, didn't totally make her forget, but a, a little one mm -hmm. will, will definitely help with depression. Yes. And, uh, you know, bring joy to the, to the grandmamas and, and, uh, you know, sorry for going on that tangent, but you know, I can no. kind of relate there. Yeah, absolutely. And so you, you kind of see it and that's the stuff that people probably see the most. So on a different note, the volunteer services council is a 501 C three nonprofit organization. Yes. And so what they do is they pick up the tab where the state leaves off. The state does a great job at providing services for our patients and, and medication and those kinds of things. But there's some things that state we cannot use state appropriated funds for. Absolutely. So we have the Volunteer Services Council. Uh, that's a again a nonprofit organization that raises money to help us uh, fill in the gaps uh, for for our patients and things that they need. And so they do provide a lot of stuff. We want to put the humanistic part in recovery and treatment, and that's what the VSC does. Yeah, that's something that they can do that the state can't or that you can't use mm -hmm. state funds for. Right. And um, they're also they want to educate our community. So we have uh, they chose to pick up a program that comes with a curriculum with buddy benches. And so every KISD school, uh, Notre Dame Catholic School, Ingram, Harper and Centerpoint, I believe, all have buddy benches at their elementary schools. Because we have found or we know that mental illness starts at a very early age with mm. depression and anxiety, uh, bullying, those kind of things. So the buddy bench is at the campuses. And if you see a kid sitting there, the other kids know they need a friend or someone to talk to, somebody to play with. So they go and, and ask them if they want to play and stuff. So That's beautiful. Yeah. So it really helps. It really, really helps. And we've got nothing but great, great feedback from the school's and how the kids use those benches. That's beautiful, Pete. I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah. I really didn't. I'm, I'm happy I learned that today. And uh, so let's say somebody's touched and moved, <clears throat> and they want to, you know, they're like, man, how do I help? How do I, how, how can I donate to this? Um, they donate, not through the state, but... To the Volunteer Services Council for Kerrville State Hospital. That's amazing. It really is. The buddy right. benches. You know, that's where, that's where it does start mm -hmm. when, when you're little, right. you know, these little, these little, uh, experiences traumatic or, or not, they stick with you forever. And bullying is a serious, serious issue. You know, I know someone, uh, recently that had a loved one that was, uh, contemplating suicide because of bullying in school. This was just last week that she told me that. You know, so it is out there. It is a serious, serious issue, you know, and, and I think that it's not so much a school issue. It's it's a people issue. It's our issue as parents, you know. Yeah. And now they can't escape it. So when they go home, they're online 
And I mean, when we were kids, you know, if that wasn't around, we would go home and we'd escape that whole world of school. A lot of times home is the problem. Really? Home is the problem. So, you know, they go when they go to school, that's where they act out. That's where they do things and treat people badly or whatever because they're that's where they're uh, letting it all out there because mm. home, there's something going on at home. Whether, you know, dad's drinking or someone lost their job or someone's being abusive or those kinds of things that are happening at home and these kids don't know how to really cope with it. And so when they get to school, that's where they act out. How has this affected you as a daddy? How has this position affected you as, you know, as a father? Well, I have a lot of help because my wife is a licensed professional counselor. So we have uh, therapeutic minds at raising my son. And so, you know, I, of course, I tell him, you better not ever, ever be the bully ever mm. in every movie we see where there's a bully. I'm like, that better not ever be you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just educating him on what's, what's good and what's not good. And, and he had an incident uh, where he was at a party, a little birthday party. And one kid while they were playing out, all the parents were on one side and the kids were playing in the, in the field. And there was a little kid getting bullied and he, uh, he took, he took up for him, you know, and he said, when we were leaving, he said, Dad, I don't want you to be mad at me. And I said, why? And he said, well, so-and-so was being ugly and bullying this other person, and I took up for him. And I said, well, good for you. That's, that's what you're supposed to do. That's, that is what you are supposed to do. And I said, so what did he say? And he said, when I told him that he needed to stop, I told him he needed to stop and stop what he was saying. And he said, make me. And I told him, I don't make trash, I burn it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You know yeah. what? Um, so, you know, and I was like, high five. That's what you're supposed to do. Take up for people, you know, give where, where other people can't. You know, just knowing those, those kind of things that, and, and to be free and open to talk about those things. Pete, it, it's so weird how we are as humans, like... Let's say somebody's getting bullied. And as a kid, I was afraid to stand up to anybody for anything. So, like, if somebody's getting bullied, I wouldn't say anything unless somebody else did. Mm-hmm. And then I'd be like, yeah, he's right. You shouldn't be bullying, you know? Mm-hmm. And your son took that first, he was the first one mm-hmm. to stick up for him. And it's so weird that some people won't say anything unless other people are already starting to stick up for the weak for the innocent, for, for that person getting bullied and, uh, hats off to your son. Yeah. Yeah. And we use every, it's really, uh, we use every opportunity to make it an educational moment, whether it's watching the Sandlot, which he loves that movie. Mm. Uh, we, we take lessons from that and point out things. Kung Fu Panda has Trump a, a lot. They have a lot of learning, living issues that that we teach and we're like dc and do you remember yeah and one of the things is um we had a loved one that passed away and in kung fu, in kung fu panda there's the spirit realm and so uh Uguay went to the spirit world to the spirit realm and that's where that was and so when we had this loved one pass away my son related that to kung fu panda going oh they went to the spirit world. Yes, they did. 
Okay. That, that's so important. Yeah. So there's, there's, there's in all these cartoons, they're not just cartoons to be cartoons. There are teaching moments uh, that people have to have. But again, I tell my son all the time how lucky he is that he's got mom and dad mm-hmm. at home. Yes. You know, a lot of places, and I point out a lot of kids don't have mom and dads at home because no. for whatever reason, you know, so you're very, very lucky and very blessed and he's very empathetic. And so we're very lucky, but, um, I just think that it's, um, it, it's got to start at home. It's got to start at home. What do you want your legacy to be, Pete? Ooh, that's a good question. Yeah, no, it really is. Cause I think about it all the time. What do I want to leave? How do I want to leave my children? What, what kind of financial situation do I want to leave? You know, I, and this isn't about me, but what kind of legacy do you want to leave? Uh, well, my son is my legacy. He's the start. But I always have felt uh, community work, doing things in the community, helping my community, making this place a little bit better than what I found it. Mm. And so when I leave, I know that I'm. it's not on a on a big scale like you know, rich and famous people, mm-hmm. but uh, everybody can do things in their community. And I try and think about that all the time of people that have passed away, what they did in the community and how they helped our community, you know, and people don't understand or realize sometimes how important that is. And I just want that hopefully when I die, someone says, oh, you know, Pete worked really hard on that. There was yeah. a guy, Pete Calderon, that used to really, so just to make a little difference while I'm here and make it a little bit better, that's that's really what I my goal is that that's so weird you didn't you didn't say me me i i like you really you really care about that huh yeah i do i do i i really care about my community my family i knew that when i got married and had kids i wanted to to be here in kerrville i wanted my kid to have experience the village because it takes a village and my grandparents picked me up from school my brothers and sisters picked me up from school my grandfather took me to work it just it because my parents worked, so it took a village, and I uh, loved that. I loved that village, and I wanted him to know what it is to experience that village, and I wanted him to know because I have uh, friends from grade school that went to high school and even went to college with, and and everybody's that I graduated high school with, most of them are back here in Kerrville, and so I wanted him to know my friends. I have a couple of friends that uh, are brothers. They're not friends. They are brothers. And we went to high school together. And I wanted him to experience that friendship from a small town Kerrville with a village of a family that loves him. Why Kerrville? This is the Kerrville podcast. Why Kerrville? Out of anywhere else, you could have went and raised your son, the one you want to leave your legacy with. Why? That's an easy one for me because Kerrville is my home. I'm a sixth, sixth generation Kerrvillian, six generations of my family before me have lived here in, in Kerrville and Kerr County. And so it just, this is just where it is. And not just on both my, both my sides, my dad's side of the family, my mom's side of the family. We have been here for many, many, many years. Really? Yes. This is, this is my home too. I wasn't born here. I was born in Corpus and then, you know, we found our way over here, but once you once you are on I ten and you go over that hill and you see Kerrville in the valley, like your home. We we talked about it since episode one. It's just it's it's like a bubble, you know. You you get in and you're home. 
you see that cross up on mm-hmm, the hill, the mm-hmm. empty cross. You just uh, take a big sigh of like, ah, it's yes, home. I'm home. Yeah. And uh, I, I honestly, I haven't met one person that I've, I've brought here to Kerrville that's like, you know, I don't want to go back. Every, everybody I brought here, including my in-laws, my, my brother-in-law, they moved here and, and they're like, they visited and they're like, look, we want to live there from, from Corpus, from mm-hmm. South Texas. We want to live there. And now my in-laws want to live here. And, uh, it's just, it's a good place to grow up. It is. It's a good place. To we have a great children. community. I look, I thank God every single day for putting me, um, in this community, giving me the family I have and putting me in this community and allowing me to work and be and contribute to this community here in the Hill Country. I mean, it's, we're very, very lucky. We, we are. Um, it, it's, you know, just like you said about the hospital, it's not all sunshine and rainbows, but when things do go down, I've seen the community come together mm-hmm. multiple times um, during victories and tragedies. You know, it, it's just, <sighs> It's just it's just a good place to be. I, I really, I'm I'm honored to be from here. Yeah, yeah, and you know, to touch on on the Carroll State Hospital, the we have a team of therapists and counselors that went to Uvalde to help out with the mm. the aftermath of the mental part of it in their community, and we still have some uh, employees that go to Uvalde still that to help out. Do you feel what the work that's being done at the Kerrville Hospital, do you feel what happened in Uvalde gives motivation to the employees and the doctors and everybody there at the at the hospital to prevent something like that? Right. You know, I don't know if you can ever truly 100% prevent those kind of things that yeah, that's that controversial you know right i don't think that we can ever really do that there are things and changes that maybe could be done educationally um but I, i'm just not sure that that we can 100 uh, percent do that i think it starts at home for sure yeah i really do um i was i was raised around around firearms um i i you know as a kid man i remember the, the high schoolers having gun racks and guns in the back of their mm-hmm, trucks. Mm-hmm. And, and man, when we had something to handle, we never, ever thought about that. We would always go it out back and handle it. just wasn't even in your it. mind to no, do that. man. Right. No. And I'm not saying we're any better than the kids now. If the kids now were in that situation, the same scenario, the same upbringing, it would have been the same way. And, I, and I'm, I'm sure if, if we were raised in this you took us and you put, dropped us in this uh, general population. Um, we would be a product of our environment. Like, I truly believe that. I, I think that, I don't know, people from both sides of the aisle, if you took them both in the beginning of their political career or whatever, and you dropped them each in each other's positions, I guarantee you they would have both been the same. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Yes, though? yes, it, for, sure. It's, for sure. It's a weird, deep thought, but... I just, uh, I think it all starts at home. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, it does start at home, you know, and most of that mental illness and stuff, you know, uh, my wife being a counselor, uh, it all comes from trauma from, from their youth as when they become an adult and they seek help and they're starting to talk about it, it all stems from some sort of trauma in their youth. 
knowing all of this, um, does it, do you treat people differently and more carefully and with more p passion and emotion than you used to before you learned that it all stems from what happens when you're younger? Right. You know, well, you have to be mindful of it. It's kind of like being a Christian. Yes. You know, we go to church, we believe, we want to be like Jesus and we want to do those kinds of things. But sometimes we are human and life kind of takes over and you kind of forget because it's not on your mind at the time. And then you, it takes a while for, for you to stop and mm. just say, oh, wait a minute. Yes. I can't act like that. I mm. can't say those kinds of things. I can't treat this person this way. That's not what I'm supposed to do. So you just have to put yourself in check, but you have to be mindful of it. And so I think the same, the same is for that. Like, do I get, you know, frustrated? Absolutely. Do I get, uh, irritated when, um, I'm, behind, I'm in the 10 items or less line and there's someone that has a basket full. Absolutely. Oh yeah. I get road rage in the shop. <laughs> in the, <laughs> you know, man. I don't know if that person's in a hurry. I don't know if that person's got something that they, where they have to be. It's an emergency. Yeah. I don't know. They need to check out. I don't know what's going on in their life. Yes. All I know is that that's a 10 items aisle. And I got three things and you got a basket full. Yeah. What's up? You know, yeah. so you just got to leave it alone. And, and I know, and I always, we, my wife and I were stuck in traffic on the way to Houston. I-10 was at a standstill and my wife was getting irritated and frustrated. And I said, look, just chill. This is exactly where God wants us to be for whatever reason. And this could be a blessing because we don't know what's up ahead. No. So he's holding us back back here for whatever reason. I think we don't about know. that all the time. Yeah. My, my little girl comes, Daddy, hang on. She gives me a hug before I leave. What if she's preventing something down the road? I know it's I know it mm -hmm. may or may not be, but Yeah. You just don't know where the be. blessings are. Yeah, that's right. Um, one thing I was gonna ask you is uh what's the biggest benefit you've had from your position? Before we go, I know this has been a while, but what's the biggest benefit you've had working with the people you do and um, being in your position? What's the biggest takeaway? There's complete gratification and satisfaction uh, to know that you're not just making a difference. You're changing lives. Like that matters to me. Mm -hmm. um, and it does, you know, the, the, uh, the Volunteer Services Council has a small thrift store. And so our employees and even people from, from the community donate gently used items. And it allows the patients to come and buy clothes or belts or shoes or whatever they need uh, with their work money. And so I've donated a lot of stuff. And it gives me great uh, satisfaction when I see patients wearing the stuff that I donated. Of course, I don't say, hey, that was mine. <laughs> but... You know, but there was a patient uh, just today that came to me, my wife in 2020, her and her mother as a birthday gift, they went to the Super Bowl in 2020 wow. where the Chiefs won their first Super Bowl. Again. Yeah. So uh, my wife had gotten me a championship Chiefs jersey. I'm not a Chiefs fan like she is, but her yeah. and my son are. Um, and he knew that that had happened and he saw the shirt and so he bought it at the sale. And so today he said, Hey, I'm wearing the shirt. I'm wearing the shirt. It was good luck. It was good luck. Man. You know, so 
he was wearing my shirt. So that, I mean, that's kind of cool and that's yeah. awesome. And, and I'm, because it's, it's making them happy. It's changing small little things, making a difference in their everyday life. And so sometimes when a patient does get discharged, it's bittersweet for us because, you know, we're, we're with, we're with these people more than we are our own family sometimes, yep. you know, so you're happy for them when they get discharged and then you're like, Oh man, but I'm going to miss them. You yeah. know, like it's kind of cool, but. So, um, speaking of getting discharged. Okay. Last question, everybody. Um, is there a story about somebody getting discharged and then turning around and providing value? Back? Oh yes. Has it happened more than once? Uh, yes, it happens all the time. And the cool thing is, is that sometimes we've had patients that were discharged that came back and worked. They applied for a job. What? Yes. We've had a handful of patients that <laughs> have left and then they, that says something about us. Yes, it, it says does. something about who we are and our treatment that the patients want to leave and come back and work. Amen. That's beautiful. Yeah. So we have had that. We've also had a patient um, who was uh, a top executive uh, for a large computer company and you know things happened and uh, he was a patient but we got some the VSC the volunteer services council bought some computers for the library and for the patients and he uh, while he was here he signed up as a volunteer um, and he networked those computers he did the firewalls he did everything set up everybody with passwords all those kind of things saved us a lot of money because he volunteered to do that then he got discharged and we were all very nervous when he was discharged because we thought, oh, what are we going to do? But we were happy for him. Um, so when we needed updates, uh, our librarian would call him on the phone and he would walk her through. Like He was help desk. Are you serious? Yes. And then uh, we have a new server and some other things coming in uh, this week or next week. Anyway, and he's going to schedule some time to come back and set up the new server and those kinds of things. He's signed up as a volunteer and, and he's doing those kind of Man. things. So. so when you initially said anybody, it doesn't matter your, your status, how much money you make, you can go. Yes. And, and it affects everybody. It doesn't, like I said, we have very, very educated professionals. Um, it's not, you know, when you, when people think, Curve State Hospital or mental illness or what you always, you just automatically think of a homeless person. You know what? We should have a mental health podcast too. Um, if you want to, if you can think of somebody else in the community, I can think of one or two more who focus on mental health. And uh, I think that'd be really cool, mm -hmm. you know, because mental health is just, it's something you can't, like I could see if you have a broken leg, you know, but I can't see what's, what's going on. Right, right. But, but Pete, it's it was an honor. Thank you. And oh, I, what's going on? I, yes, man? I do want to to, to plug our. Uh, we have a job fair coming up next week on Wednesday, man. the February twenty second, from nine to one. Uh, enter on Texas Drive. Again, we are looking to hire two hundred and fifty people. Um, no experience necessary. Paid training, pay, benefits, um, all those kind of things. So if you're looking to change your career or change jobs, please come visit us uh, February 22nd. And I believe uh, the first week of March, we're having another one also. Okay. Um, how does somebody call to get more information? Where do they find more information? Who do they call? Um, you can go to hhs.texas.gov uh, slash health careers. 
um, and um, you can look and see what's available there. Okay. Pete, thank you for coming on. Oh, dadgummit, shatter the stigma. Oh, that's right. June 10th, the Volunteer Services Council is having a 5K that's starting at Shriner University at the Trailhead. Uh, you can sign up at the Athlete Guilt, I believe, already um, for June 10th. All those funds goes to the Volunteer Services Council, which then in turn helps our helps our patients. Amen. Pete, thank you for Thank you so you much. Do. Thank really. you for having me. Y'all have a blessed one. All right, Pleasure. everybody. 98 of the Kerrville Podcast. Y'all check us out. Facebook, YouTube, uh, Spotify, Apple Play, Google Play, and uh, KerrvillePodcast.com. Later. <laughs>